This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Big hit by Weger, who clocks Haskin in, and I'll break the other way. Gaboli scores! Tyler Toffoli. Damn, boy. 5-4, your final. Saves the Flames from going to overtime. Potentially, potentially a springboard moment for the Calgary Flames. We won't know until after Tuesday's game against Minnesota if it actually was. But at least for last night, Tyler Toffoli gives the Flames something to feel good about picking up a big two points against the Central Division leading Dallas Stars. Welcome to the program. This is Sportsnet Today. I'm Logan Gordon. Cam and Taylor, the outstanding production team in the other room. Alex Brody from Brody on the Beats hanging out with us this afternoon as well for some reason. we got lots to get to on the program. We will chat all things Calgary Flames with the color voice of the Flames, Peter Labardius, coming up in just moments. We'll have our regular Tuesday chat with Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. And look at the opposition with the play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Wild, Joe O'Donnell coming up with our look at the opposition in hour two. Let's kick things off like we always do. Heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline saying hello to the color voice of the Calgary Flames. He is Peter Labardius, and he's brought to you every single day by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit the Gemini Group. .ca. And before we get to Lou, we wanted to start by playing this clip from associate coach Kirk Muller on what last night's win meant for the Calgary Flames. I think everyone felt like it was a, you know, a hard fought game. We knew going into Dallas, uh, you know, we were going to have to bring our A game and, you know, uh, compete hard and uh, execute uh, to get uh, the right results. And the guys were ready to play. They played hard. And uh, like you say, you know, the the opportunities to score was there and we capitalized on it. So a few line changes and combinations. And, uh, you know, I think it, it helped and uh, gave us some depth in our, in our lineup and our offensive uh, lines last night. Lou, the associate coach puts it pretty well on what uh, was a good effort from the Calgary Flames last night. It was a really good effort. And without a couple of self-inflicted wounds at some key times, it might have been non-Calgary Flamish, meaning they played well enough to not have that come down to the last six seconds. But a couple of turnovers, bad decisions, some bad checking on the shorthanded goal at 4-2 when you had a chance to put it to bed. But that's the negative part. And don't really want to focus there. You know, the positive for me, the big takeaway was 
I didn't know how the Nick Ritchie situation would work, but it worked well. And not just because he scored. I thought that line was a dangerous line, and they contributed. Uh, It was not perfect. But to go through a game, Logan, in recent times where you score five times and the backland line, which was a good line, did not have to do it all, that was the best part of last night for me. And, hey, that's exactly what the the coaching staff would have been looking for by changing up those other three lines. I know it doesn't always work out quite in that sense, Lou, but, I mean, if that's the basis of why you changed up the lines was to try to get somebody else to help out that back on line, well, hey, you finally got it in a couple different forms last night. Well, you did, for sure. And, again, you'll hear it a little bit later, but Kirk Muller did confirm, at least for last night, and the lineup that one of the parts of Dylan Dubé moving where he was is against a big, heavy, strong team that can win a lot of wall battles. They wanted to go with more size on the wing and more speed down the middle. Um, and against Minnesota, they're kind of a combo plate for me. They're, they're not Dallas in terms of the makeup with Oscar Sunquist looking like he will make his debut. They do have those types of players. So it will be interesting. I don't think they get away from what they did last night. They're certainly not going to get away for absolute sure from the combination of Richie Kadri and Huberto. Although, like I said, there's a big step forward for that group the checking game and making that game more difficult still with some work to do, but that is fine as this team tries to win back-to-back games, Logan, for the first time since January 21st and 23rd. That's a long time. Yeah. You don't have to say much more than that. When you try to figure out why the Calgary flames are where they are in the standings, Lou, it's, it's kind of that simple. This team really hasn't been able to string together long stretches where they've been able to win games on a consistent basis. And that's kind of where you get put when you can't do that. And we've talked so many times about, and it's not even, it's not even worth having the discussion because the team just has to go out and do it. We've talked plenty of times this year about, Oh, well this game or this moment be that springboard moment for them to finally string a couple together They're just going to have to go out and do it, and then we'll see if it does anything for them tonight. Not a whole lot more, Logan, really needs to be said because they have had stretches since those two wins where they've played more than well enough to win two games in a row, and they've gotten points in two in a row in certain games. But at this juncture, it's not good enough. It isn't good enough, but you can't really what's happened in many ways since the break is it really has been Jekyll and Hyde and that's got to stop because when the effort is good and you play the right way and there are few passengers, this team shows that it is more than ready to compete with even the best teams in the league. But when they 
don't do that, they make themselves very susceptible. Talked a little bit there. Nick Ritchie gets his first as a member of the Calgary Flames. Good play. Jonathan Huberto puts the puck on net. Ritchie going straight to the net and is able to find a rebound that Jake Ottinger wasn't able to find and put it home for his first, Lou. I guess give me your thoughts on Nick Ritchie's debut as the Calgary Flame. Well, not just because he scored. I liked his big body presence. I found him net front a lot when the team was in the zone. He's a big body But more than that, it's how you can use your big body to create room for other people. And I thought Jonathan Huberto even benefited from that. And maybe the underrated part of Nick's game, and I'll continue to watch it very closely, is he made some plays too. Mm -hmm. He He used his size and physicality to win battles. Think about the number of long shifts that that group had last night in the zone. Made a huge difference. That's how this team has to play. They are not a rush team. When they try to be a rush team, and Jonathan Huberto is a brilliant playmaker. Brilliant. Does he force puck sometimes? He does. But it's critical for this team that he has the puck, especially in the offensive zone, because he will find you. So you need people that can either create space to get it to him or people who can find him and move to spots where they make themselves available. Nazem Kadri's effort last night, his best in a couple of weeks, even though... Still a ways to go in the checking side, and he's a frustrated guy. All you have to do is look at some of his reactions mm-hmm. when he has been knocked down by other people and how he's reacted, whether it's in those situations or to referees. But you can't take the emotion completely out of an emotional person, and he is, and it's what makes him him. Just have to pick your spots a little better. And uh, quickly on the Richie front, too, that penalty in the third period, Lou, uh, a very quick reminder of the, the work that still has to happen and some of the frustration that comes with Nick Richie sometimes. Sometimes. But, Logan, while that was not a good decision, when I think about Nick Richie, it's the first place I go is not necessarily to terrible penalties, although it has plagued him. It's about the consistency of his effort. That matters well, inter- more than the other side. Well, and interesting to hear, and you know, Kelly and Rick brought this up on the broadcast on the TV side a bunch last night, was that Daryl Sutter was very cognizant of the fact that he does not like Nick Ritchie's game when it's between 8 and 10 minutes. That if it's anything like that, you get an inconsistent player who's not as engaged. He wants to make sure that if Nick Ritchie is in the lineup, you're going to see a prominent amount of him, and he was at 1441 last night, and he thinks he gets a better, more engaged player when he's around that kind of ice time. Well, what really happened last night in many ways is in order to do that, he had to change things up for Dylan Dubé, and that's the second part of building your lineup and trying to put people in places 
where they can be successful. And whether it was Daryl's time as a consultant in Anaheim or all the coaching he would have done against him when Daryl was in L.A., Daryl knows exactly what he does and doesn't bring to the table. And that's a big part of coaching is truly understanding where you can get the most out of each and every individual. The sheet last night tells you everything you need to know, both up front and especially, Logan, on defense. There was not a defenseman last night that played more than 2150, and there wasn't a defenseman that played less than 1614. And that has a lot to do with Troy Stetcher, mm-hmm. even though, again, was it perfect? No. But his mobility, he made a great play on the goal. He made several good decisions to get up in the middle of the ice, to close, to pinch, settle down his partner. He competes his tail off. He and Mackenzie Weger are kind of similar guys. One guy just has more upside than the other. But he already, to me, is making a difference. And they needed another piece back there. So that was very encouraging for me, too. He also sets up uh, on a nice play his defensive partner, Nikita Zadorov, for a goal. Uh, first time in a long time that the Flames have had two defensemen score on the same night, Lou. Uh, Rasmus Anderson gets one as well. How important is it for this team to find that sort of offensive contribution for the back end going forward? Well, it's really important, but it's important, Logan, in 2023 for every team in the National Hockey League. Yeah. Because your defense, and it's not just the points, it's your ability to spend more time in their zone because you transition the puck better coming out of yours. And then you give yourself an opportunity to spend more time in the opponent's zone and thus give your defensemen, like everybody talks about, you know, activating or not activating. That doesn't just happen when you're down. You're a little more free to do it, but it's, it's the basis of how everybody wants to play. Everybody, A, wants to possess the puck. B, they want to spend as little time in their own zone as they can and more time in the opponent's. That's, that's cutting to the chase. That's what the sport's all about. And so your ability to move it and make good decisions and have good board play and be connected in your own zone really is the basis in many ways of what allows your defense to be more active on the rush, to be able to get up in it, how they support it, how they make themselves available in the offensive zone. It all goes hand in hand. All three zones are critical in how you generate offense, not just one. We're sitting with the color voice of the Calgary Flames, Peter Labardius on another Flames game day. Flames in the Minnesota Wild tonight uh, from Minnesota. Flames looking for some revenge after that loss Saturday at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome in Lou. Uh, one guy I wanted to touch on with you today, we heard the clip coming in. Tyler Toffoli with the game winner with 6.2 seconds left on the clock. A great up pass from Jonathan Huberto to set up Toffoli, but uh, the guy just knows how to finish. He's on pace for a career season and has easily been the most consistent offensive player 
for the Flames all year. I guess just your thoughts on, on Tyler Toffoli and what he's meant to this group. Well, Tyler's had an excellent year. You know, he's two off tying a career high in points, and he's two off tying a career high in goals. But that's the most important one that he has scored all year by a mile. And it's not always the number. It's when and how critical they are. And there is a difference. So the winning goal last night was your best playmaker setting up your best finisher. 5-4, nighty-night. See you in mini. You don't want any part of that game going to overtime last night if you're the Flames, right? Did it go to overtime? No. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> they, they made the game far more difficult than it needed to be with two costly turnovers when they were up by two goals. If you eliminate even those two plays, we're having a different conversation and a goal with six seconds left would not have been required. But in a season where you haven't gotten enough big saves and you haven't scored big goals and got them at the right times from your best people, last night's game checked all the boxes, even though the goalie gave up four. He was really good again. Are you going back to him tonight if you're of the Flames? Yes, I yes, I am. Yep. It's not even a question. Unless he doesn't feel good enough to do it, I have waited for him to get on a bit of a roll all year. I'm not stopping it until it needs to be stopped. Yeah, you also the... he's got to play 20 in a row. I really don't. Yeah, and you've got a unique uh, situation. Well, not, we'll call it unique, but a, a good situation in the fact that you have two days off after this one before you're back at home against Anaheim. So a chance to rest up for Jacob uh, if they do decide to go to him in net tonight. And uh, Look, this is a big one for this Flames team, Lou. I don't have to tell you that, but I think almost more than the points – Trying to respond against a team where you had so little going on Saturday is going to tell us a lot about this Flames team. I don't even think about Minnesota tonight, Logan. I'll be honest. Okay. I don't care. I Honestly, I don't. No, that's and, 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 and I'm not trying to be critical, so I apologize if I came off in the wrong way. No, no, I understand um, what you're saying. Yeah, I. this team has got to be really in a Game 7 season-on-the-line mentality every night regardless of the opponent, and they were crap with a capital C on Saturday. It wouldn't have mattered who they played or the team or how that team plays. As Kirk Muller said, and it'll be my red flags, Patty can mark it down now if he's listening. They didn't win any 50-50s. They didn't compete hard enough. They didn't give themselves a chance. And they wouldn't have beat anyone the way they played that night. That's not going to happen again tonight. I'm not saying they're going to win. They're playing a good team, team that's been good at home. But this is about the Calgary Flames from here on in every night. Do you have a game seven mentality every night until the equation changes, until somebody is chasing you, not the other way around? It, it really is that simple for me. It really is. 
Yeah, no, it's it's fair, and they've put themselves in that spot, and we'll see what the response is from the group tonight. It's not the easiest travel from uh, Dallas to Minnesota, but the, they're long past having to worry about what the schedule is in front of them. They've just got to find yeah. a way to, to pick up two points tonight. Can't. This team's got to put some wins together. They haven't done that since January 21st and 23rd. It's not about the playoffs. Get your get your head out of there. It's about being a really good team every night. Because if you are, you're going to give yourself a chance. If your focus is on the playoffs or travel or tired or the opponent, you're done. Not saying it's easy. It's incredibly difficult, the mountain they have to climb. And for this team, it's the mental mountain more than the physical. You just got another example of when this team is in the right place and plays the right way, they're good. They need to believe. They need to believe. They need to build belief as much as they need to get wins. And one goes hand in hand with the other. Lou, always appreciate the time, sir. We'll uh, chat with you again later tonight. You'll be on Flames Warm-Up with Pat at uh, 5 o'clock, and we'll talk to you tomorrow to break this one down here on Sportsnet Today. You and the listeners have an awesome day. Take care, everybody. See you, Lou. Pete Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He joins us every single day to kick off the program. He is brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit the Gemini Group. Dot .ca and yes it's got to be as simple as that for the Calgary Flames you were terrible against this same Minnesota team on Saturday you need a bounce back you need to get something going if you want any hope of pushing for a playoff spot you have to be able to string a couple together they've got a chance to do that tonight no morning skate of course for the group but would you expect anybody different than Jacob Markstrom I won't I'm with Lou I think we're going to see number 25 Back in goal for the Calgary Flames, seeing as how the next time they're on the ice is Friday, back at home against the Anaheim Ducks. So we'll wait and see on any lineup changes potentially for the Calgary Flames. Uh, I think on a Minnesota team that just beat them 3-0 on Saturday. So we'll see. 5 o'clock, Flames warm up with the one and only Pat Steinberg. He will join uh, Pete Labardius for that. And then at 6 o'clock, right here on these airways, Sportsnet 960 will have the Flames and the Minnesota Wild. We'll take a break, come back on the other side with our Tuesday chat with Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Hour one continues. It's Sportsnet Today, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And Tuesdays mean our regular chat with Sportsnet 650's Bick Nazar. Bick, how are you today, man? Good, how are you? I'm good, man. Uh, We chatted with you pre-trade deadline, wondering what was uh, perhaps on the horizon for the Vancouver Canucks. There were some uh, interesting moves, I think some right along the the lines of what we thought the Canucks would do, and then a couple right out of left field. What's uh, the last week or so been like in uh, Canucks land in response to the trade deadline? I just it just now occurred to me that we would have talked before the Philip Peronic trade. Yes. Oh man, what a wild week! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last week didn't make any sense at all. No. Nope. When you think about it, 
Um, oh, no, honestly, like, I, I don't mind the Rodick trade. Just my issue was, and I talked about it in the show, I just didn't understand the timing. Like, if you look at it in a vacuum, you would say, okay, like, that's what a emerging, young, right-shot D-man should cost. I, I just didn't understand why the urgency to do it before the trade deadline. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe that Detroit wouldn't have done that as soon as the season ended as well. Yeah, the timing was interesting, and I think it also kind of muddied the message as to what the Vancouver Canucks' plans were trade deadline, because I think if you had walked out of it last Friday, Bick, and said, hey, look, we moved out Shen, we moved out Lazar, we moved out some of those pieces we could, we got a good return in the Bo Horvat trade, and we're set to go to the offseason, whatever it might hold, that's a pretty clear message that everyone understands, but now it kind of feels like that's muddied and as confusing as ever when you go out and make that trade for Hironic. Yeah. Now, again, there's the long-term plan version of it. And at the same time, I do understand that talent acquisition shouldn't have a time frame. You just, if a player that you need and you want becomes available, I can understand just going out and going to acquire them. I just thought like it was it was not so dissimilar to the JT Miller trade from when they acquired him uh, at the draft and saying, hey, where are you in your build? Is this the right time to go spend a first round pick? But it, it moved the Canucks forward marginally for a little bit before the season got shut down. And you could say hey, this is a better player, bigger opportunity. He started to thrive. So I think it's the same idea. But the big complaint back then with the Miller trade was, did you squeeze Tampa Bay enough because of the cap and all that sort of stuff? And I would kind of ask the same question here, not necessarily that you're going to squeeze Detroit, but did you play the market enough to say what opens up come the summer? You know, last year we saw John Marino go to New Jersey for Ty Smith and a third. Now, I think the pick is probably worth the first round pick they give up, probably worth more than Ty Smith. And obviously they give up a second uh, to, to essentially trade down in the draft and get a fourth in return. So it kind of fits the bill, but it feels like they paid a premium uh, for something that they could have waited to see if they could solve for cheaper in the summer. And I, again, I really like the player, and I think he's going to flourish here in Vancouver, and I'm excited to see what his usage would be. Mm. I, I just. I just didn't understand the timing. To the point about usage, is everyone in Vancouver penciling him on the right side with Quinn Hughes right now? So the rest of this season, Rick Tockett has been very vocal about uh, this being a training camp for Vancouver, an extended training camp, and a lot of guys are going to get opportunities, and we've seen a couple of guys already. I would very much like to see when Philip Ronick comes back, and he just came to Vancouver last night, when he's ready to go and he's healthy, for the rest of this season, I would love to see what him and Quinn Hughes looks like. I don't know if it's going to have long-term stability because they do need to spread the wealth a bit on defense. But if this is training camp and this is a free roll, let's try it and let's see what it looks like. At training camp this year, they tried Quinn Hughes on the right side just to experiment and see. They didn't necessarily expand to that in games, but it was something they attempted. And if if you get the best version of Philip Fronick and he can independently carry a D pair on his own, which some, some of his work in Detroit this year indicates that he kind of did. If you can do that, that's a big win for the Canucks and a big win for this trade. But I would love to see a supercharged pair, whether it's break glass in case of emergency scenarios and just say, Hey, you guys together, let's see if this works. Uh, just if they ever need to go to that down the road, 
give it a 20-game sample or 15, 13-game sample, however many Peronics going to return for. So I, I'm excited to see uh, these two guys play together because I think their skill sets match together so well. Maybe not quite the levels of a Makar Taze pairing, but in that vein of what you're trying to accomplish, uh, let's see these guys together for, for a handful of games here down the stretch. Anything of note or anything that uh, surprised you about either Lazar or Shen being moved out on trade deadline day? Uh, not Shen. Um, obviously, landing in, in Toronto is a, is a nice spot for him. Um, we talked about that. And so, you know, for me, I thought that'd be the, the primary move that they make. Uh, the Lazar one, I'm surprised someone was willing to take on two extra years of term. But look, we're talking about a million dollars, and you can just bury that in the AHL if it doesn't work for uh, the other team for for New Jersey. So I, I'm surprised that they were willing to just move off of it because they had just signed him to term, right? Um, that's really the only thing that it kind of shocked me. He wasn't really working out, uh, you know, a, a right shot that wasn't really win- winning faceoffs and doesn't really have a history of winning faceoffs. And on the penalty kill it's a historically bad penalty kill for the team, but Curtis Cesar was probably chief among those who struggled the most on it. His goals against per 60, uh, as far as fours that qualify after a certain number of minutes was among the top in the league. So he wasn't really having success in the role that he was being asked to. So I look at that and I say the Canucks uh, managed to make a decision, allow a guy to play in a different spot and see if he can reclaim some of his value across the league. And they get an asset for him. And I think the big thing, too, is they've cleared up uh, contract spaces. And this is a team that when Patrick Alvin took over, he mentioned, like, we're going to go after college free agents. We're going to go after uh, European free agents. And we've seen them be aggressive in that um, as soon as he arrived. They bring in an Archdeep Baines from Dub. They bring in a Nils Oman. They bring in a Philip Johansson, and you'll probably want to, and obviously Andre Kuzmenko. And you're probably going to see them be aggressive because they have 44 contracts of the 50. So they have a lot of space to go after some college free agents and try to fill in this uh, organizational depth. So those are the moves that did happen. But one thing that didn't potentially happen that has a lot of people buzzing about now what the offseason might look like is what we imagine or hear was some sort of discussions between Pittsburgh and the Vancouver Canucks. And now I guess my understanding of it, Bick, was there were times where we thought it was Besser, but it might've been centered around JT Miller. Do you think that was ever a possibility? And do you think this is something that will be revisited in the off season between these two teams? Yeah, it seems pretty clear. And I know uh, Patrick Alvine tried to do the semantics uh, defense of it on uh, his press conference on Friday. It seems very obvious that there was a deep conversations between Pittsburgh and uh, Vancouver. I wouldn't be surprised if there's maybe more teams involved in this, whether it be Carolina, who may have been looking for a cut rate on JT Miller to see if he was available. But it, it, it's it's pretty obvious that Pittsburgh kind of went down the, the line. I, I just don't understand like the thing that the hurdle I could never clear when it came to figuring out a, a trade fit with Pittsburgh is. Why would Pittsburgh trade? Because they're in the middle of this playoff chase here too. Why would Pittsburgh trade some of their quality pieces that are on the roster right now to solve one problem, but to create another one? You needed forward depth. Okay, cool. But if you had to move a Marcus Patterson, who's having a fantastic year, you're opening up a problem on the blue line. And in season, that's going to be a problem. 
come off season, I can see these teams trying again. JT Miller's contract will kick in in the summer. There's no movement clause kicks in in the first year of that deal as well. So I could see them trying again, certainly, but it never really made sense from a trade fit. But as Patrick Alvin said, which I think there's elements of truth to it, did we get a formal offer? Probably not. Did you have conversations? Yes. And again, this is semantics. We can sit here and say, you know, a conversation is like a trade offer because you're trying to work out the details of a trade. But I think they tried. And I think they'll try again come the summer as well. But the thing is, Vancouver is going to want their valuation met. And just because we're talking about an idea that JT Miller might get moved, I don't look at it as they're admitting their mistake and want to move off this player. If they have a price and they say it's a first-round pick and a, another high-level prospect that, you know, or another first-round pick on top of that, if that price gets met, I look at that as you know, every player has a price and a team is willing to pay it. I don't necessarily look at it as a team that was admitting their mistake. If they sell them for a fifth round pick just to get the money off the books, okay, different conversation. But if a team is willing to pay a premium to get a player, uh, I think the Vancouver Canucks would explore that come the summer. And does that sort of ease the thought in Vancouver about the cap situation? Because obviously now you've moved out almost as many UFAs as you possibly can. There's only a handful of guys that aren't very expensive left at Vancouver's disposal. Now you've brought in Heronic, and everybody goes, all of a sudden Vancouver's cap situation in the summer uh, is pretty full already. I, I guess moving out the potential $8 million per season of JT Miller would certainly help in that aspect. It would. Uh, and again, what's, what was so funny about Friday is Patrick Alvin had a lot of confidence with the idea that they will be cap compliant. Now, cap compliant and flexible are two very different things. Uh you know, 32 teams are always going to be cap compliant come, come day one of the NHL season. But he had a certain level of confidence. And whether it's the Brock Besser, whether it's JT Miller, whether it's Connor Garland, seems very comfortable with the idea that they were going to be able to move money out and build this team out in their style, in their vision, not necessarily rebuild or retool on the fly. They call it a build. And constantly just moving this forward 1% better every day. He seemed confident both in the press conference and he joined Canucks Central as well on our station. And they've had this level of confidence on things in the past. And every time we've seen it, it, it just felt like it was going to be difficult, but they pulled it off. For instance, the the Jason Dickinson cap dump to Chicago acquiring Riley Stillman, they give up a second round pick. But one of the things that was mentioned from the Canucks internally was they've always felt that they were going to get a third round pick or third round pick value for Riley Stillman. And that's why he was part of the targeted uh, assets in a cap dump. And ultimately they trade him for Josh Bloom last week, who is a third round prospect. And we watched Riley Stillman play and he struggled with the puck. He struggled defensively. And it was so difficult to see the line of logic that they could flip him for what they thought they could get. And ultimately like we went through the season and I, I was going to be stunned if this didn't result in a buyout because he's under 26 and he can get the one-third buyout. And yet here they are. They ultimately get a third-round pick value for him. So he's had confidence in some things in the past that didn't necessarily line up with how the fans saw it and some media saw it. I think maybe they have something in the holster that we'll, come, we'll see come to fruition in the offseason. As far as on-the-ice products go, last night, uh, a good reminder of just how good Elias Pettersson is for this team. His 30th of the season, he has a shootout winner and a victory over the Predators. 
It was also his 300th NHL point in 306 games. Second fastest player to reach that milestone in Canucks history behind only Pavel Bure, who did it in 246 games. Uh, Bick, how is Elias Pettersson helping or handling this whole situation in your view? Because it, it can't be easy for him. There was so much talk about his extension and what his long-term commitment to the team really looked like. And these kind of situations we know can be hard on young players and hard on players that maybe are still evaluating their future when, you know, there's always seems to be that sort of turmoil around the team. It's 25 games or 25 points in 17 games under Rick Tockett. So if he's having a difficult time, uh, it's coming out really well right now. And I I do think there's another gear for Elias Pettersson to still get to. Um, The the one thing I was saying on the postgame show last night that it does feel like he's just testing his abilities and just seeing what he can get away with on the ice. And we've seen young players do this, you know, as, as rookies and refine their game and kind of become who they are. And it feels like Elias Pettersson's kind of doing that in this last 20 games where the games don't really matter. And it's, as we said, in the extended training camp, uh, I just feel like he's testing things out to see what he can get away with and come into next season fully charged up and, consistent line mate now with Andre Kuzmenko and getting that pairing together strong. And I, I, I'm less concerned about the long-term contract conversation because he is such a fiery competitor. Mm -hmm. And if you put $88 million in front of someone and they say no, then okay, you got a big problem, but I want to get to the stage where you force him to say no. And first opportunity is going to be July 1st. They can put a eight year contract for him if it's 11 plus million or if it's 10, whatever the number is. Uh, I, I think what they've done here recently, because he's performing so well, 25 points in 17. Um, and, and this is the downtime to the Vancouver Canucks. I, I think they've, they're doing enough to show, Hey, this is on the right track and we're building this out and you'll have plenty of opportunity to thrive. Uh, I, I, I want to see in the summer. Cause if he says no to 80 plus million dollars, then it's a different conversation. But I would be surprised to see, but we see it time and time again in the NHL. Guys uh, get huge money, and it's it's hard to say no when it's actually in front of you. Uh, Big Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, our regular Tuesday chat. Uh, switching things away from hockey and over to football, uh, your reaction to Geno Smith finalizing that three-year contract extension uh, with the Seahawks, $105 million uh, with the ability to earn $52 million of that in the first calendar year. What did you think when you saw that come down? Fantastic. I guess they uh, they finally wrote back uh, to, to Geno Smith, <laughs> and, and he gets that nice deal. And honestly, like, I know we had talked about this in the past after, you know, like week 12, and it, it felt like, okay, this isn't a fluke anymore with, with Geno. He was having a strong season, and one of the – best seasons from a quarterback we saw last year. So what made sense for where his age is and for, for where the Seahawks are in their build. And I think this makes just a ton of sense, a three-year deal where again, the cash flow is what's going to be important. I haven't seen the exact details from year to year to year, but if most of it, as you say, is up front in the first year, are they going to have outs after two years? And that gives them an opportunity to draft a quarterback with the top five pick this year. I know Anthony Richardson's getting a lot of hype right now and someone I'm sure Pete Carroll would kind of like to work with over the course of a year or two. But it gives them out, it allows them to stay competitive and come year three, start that 
succession plan to the next guy. And Geno Smith will be closer to 35 at that stage. He gets a massive payday. It just feels like this is a big win for everyone. And from for the Seahawks, too, this is also a big feather in their cap to be able to point to everyone else and say, we gave him the contract because he earned it. This isn't a us, hey, we managed to get away on a cheap deal, and now we move on and find our next plan. You come in, you win an opportunity, and you succeed in it, we will reward you. And I think that's a great message to 52 other players that are always competing for jobs. Uh, that, to me, is the, the, the big lesson. Obviously, Gino sticking with it and competing to, to get to, to revive his career is massive. But I think for the Seahawks' point of view, that's, that's going to be a big selling point to players down the road, too. And it kind of feels like another feather in the cap, too, for that trade that they made with the Denver Broncos. I don't know Huge. what's going to happen with Sean Payton as the head coach with Russell Wilson in, in Denver, but I, I do know that the more usefulness that they get out of Geno Smith and potentially out of this draft pick that's coming very early on in the draft pick, the better that deal looks for them. If they draft a quarterback with this pick, or even if they trade down, get a future 2024, like whatever quarterback they end up getting, and if it happens to be with the asset that they got from Denver, those like the, the trade tree of that is going to live on forever. And we might be in 2036, and that quarterback's played 12 years in the show, and he's won a Super Bowl, and going to be going to the Hall of Fame. It's still going to be mentioned. That's the quarterback that was traded for Russell Wilson. Like It's always going to be like that if they end up getting a quarterback with that pick. So uh, I, I can't wait for the draft because – the, the Russell Wilson Seattle Seahawks story just will not go away. And uh, I guess just how about uh, your quick thoughts on the news of the day that the New York Jets are flying out to California to try to woo Aaron Rodgers uh, in person to being the next quarterback of the Jets? I, I'm slowly starting to buy into a theory that life is a simulation, Logan. <laughs> and just like, like Green Bay Packers quarterbacks disgruntled at the back end of the career ending up in New York. And you got to do crazy things to go get them. Brett Favre wanted to go to Minnesota and had to do it by way of New York. And now I guess uh, Aaron Rodgers had to go to darkness retreat to end up in New York. And I, I hope they're ready for Ahuasca treatments and whatever <laughs> other concoction Aaron Rodgers has ready for them. Uh, it makes a ton of sense. I know they missed out on Derek Carr. Uh, I, the, the New York Jets have to do something to try to push that organization forward and start having winning seasons and, and try to get to the playoffs. I just wonder about the, the the viability of that because it's not exactly the most functional organization mm-hmm. and Aaron Rodgers requires maintenance. That's the thing. It's, it's He's a spectacular player and the Green Bay infrastructure helps to be able to maintain it. Long-standing history of success with that organization. And it just feels like that relationship is getting to a point where the Green Bay Packers don't want to maintain them, and Aaron Rodgers wants a little bit more control. And so it, it, it's great. You go out and acquire a multi-MVP. Like you do that every chance. But the thing that I would be worried about is not sort of the on-the-field component for the New York Jets. I'd be worried about the off-the-field component. And are they the type of organization, because they've not really shown that ability to be able to handle maintaining Aaron Rodgers. And it's worth maintaining I'm not just saying high maintenance is a red flag. Mm-hmm. It's worth maintaining if it works out. But you you personally have to have the willingness and the competency to pull that off. And that's the part I worry about for the New York Jets. 
Uh, I know one thing for sure. It won't be boring if he winds up in New York. Uh, I'm very excited to see what exactly uh, that would look like. Big thanks as always for the time, man. I always appreciate our chats, and we'll check in with you again next week, eh? Talk soon. Take care. Big Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver, chatting all things Vancouver Canucks and some NFL uh, in there as well. Uh, the closest proximity to the NFL to Vancouver, of course, is Seattle. They get lots of attention uh, out there from our sister stations. Always like to check in with Bick's thoughts on that. And yes, the news of the day in the NFL, uh, the Jets' ownership is on their way to California uh, to have an in-person meeting with Aaron Rodgers to try to convince him uh, to be the next quarterback of the New York Jets. They would still have to work out a trade with the Packers, but uh, the fact that they're going for an in-person meeting uh, might be a big indication that Aaron Rodgers is, in fact, ready to move on from the Packers. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. We'll kick off hour two with a look at the opposition. It's an opposition that gave the Calgary Flames all sorts of problems on Saturday night. Uh, what's the latest on the Minnesota Wild? We'll check in with their radio play-by-play voice, Joe O'Donnell, as we kick off hour two in just a few moments here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.